Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. Tuesday, April 20th, Clay Court Tennis is in high gear in Europe right now. We've got events in Barcelona, Belgrade, Stuttgart, Istanbul, lots of tennis to choose from. But we're going to look back at last week on today's episode of the podcast. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, will join me for a 30-minute discussion about what we saw in Monte Carlo. What did we see? Well, we saw Stefano Tsitsipas claim his first Masters 1000 crown. We saw Andre Rublev reach the final. Big moments for both players who maybe were a little bit under the gun after what was perceived to be a lack of a performance at the Miami Masters event. Um, but they came through very nicely in Monte Carlo. A huge win for Tsitsipas, who now leads the ATP race to Turin. Rublev is second. Djokovic is third. We've got Medvedev, Herkac, Karatsev, Sinner, and Zverev rounding out the top eight. We have a nice discussion about what the race looks like, what it might look like in a few weeks' time. Uh, we talk about Young Guns, Musetti, Sinner, Alcaraz, Corda, and we talk about Dominic Team. That's a big part of our discussion, so you don't want to miss it. Hang in there, listen to Richard and I discuss, and I'll see you on the other side. Richard Pagliaro, welcome back. It's been a few days since we talked Monte it's Carlo. It's been too long, man. I'm really <laughs> excited to talk to you, Chris. It's been a uh, really, really fun Monte Carlo and a surprising one as well. It's uh, surprising in a lot of ways, right? But in the end... We- Probably not so surprising that Stefano Tsitsipas is the champion. No, really well-deserved. When you look at I think he only allowed 28 games, did not lose a set, and also the serve dominance. And that's one of the reasons why I think you got to be high on Tsitsipas on every surface is that he holds serve, you know, and that's the name of the game. He's able to hold. He's a tough guy to break, and he did that well. You know, in, in some freaky conditions, it was kind of breezy, windy there. It was kind of unpredictable, but he was able to, to hold firm. Decisive victory over Andre Rublev, three and three. He's now four and three against the Russian, but a good performance by Rublev to put himself in that final. Um, looks like these two guys could be um, big players in the next couple, in the next what month and a half leading up to Roland Garros. I, I think they're two of the names we have to watch the most closely, other than Nadal and Djokovic, wouldn't you say? I absolutely agree, especially you look at Rublev, the ATP winner in match wins, another guy on, on all surfaces able to compete. And also the rivalry between the two of them, Steph talked about that after the Monte Carlo final, that it's already a rivalry and he sees that going on in the future. And I think for the Rublev, you got to cut him some slack in the final just because back-to-back those physical wins over RBA and then, of course, Rafa to beat the 11-time grand champion in three sets, I think that just you know, physically, he just wasn't as fresh as Sitsipas for me in the final. And, he, and you know, you see Sitsipas break early in both sets, and he just ran it out after that. Yeah, and that can always be a story that that people don't really get um, the 100% of the real story about a matchup or a certain match, which is, yeah, Rublev had to go through Batista Agu in the quarters, and that is a... That's, you know, that's that's really one of those litmus tests for young players. And he passed it with flying colors, then beat Nadal. And you're right, he probably lacked a little bit of energy against Tsitsipas. I think that re- that rivalry on, on any surface is going to go back and forth a little bit, though it looks like Steph has the edge on clay. 
Yeah, and it's an interesting rivalry because they do play differently, but they're both so eager, and they've both made such big strides over the past couple years. And, you know, let's face it, they're both going to be playing for me. I think they both potentially can be major champions. So, And it's great also that they have the history, you know, and he, the tweet when, when they played Orange Bowl so many years ago that they've, they've come through it together, and they're at this point. And there are two guys that are super hungry, too. Yep. I'm going to ask you to take a, a breather, take a sip of your cocktail right now, and I'm going to read through, read through the list of first-time Masters 1000 titleists since 2012. It starts with David Ferrer, Stan Varenka, Marin Cilic, Zverev in Rome at 2017, Dimitrov in Cincinnati 2017, Sock in Paris 2017, but uh, Del Potro got his first in Indian Wells in 2018. Then it was John Isner next in Miami 2018. Hachinov in Paris 2018. Dominic Team broke through at Indian Wells. That was special. 2019. Fabio Fanini at Monte Carlo 2019. Then we get Medvedev, Cincinnati 2019. Then we get Herkatch and Tsitsipas back-to-back. That's it. Those are the first-time Masters 1000 winners in the last 10 years. How big is this for Sitsipas? He's already won the ATP Finals, but but nevertheless, big moment for him, don't you think? Absolutely. It's his second biggest tournament after the ATP Finals in London. And also, you know, as we spoke about after the Rafa match, coming back from Miami where, I mean, he could have had a bit of a hangover because he knew that title was there for the taking for any of those guys, and it got away from him that he was able to reset, refocus, also, you know, returning home where he lives there sometimes, and also the whole thing with his mom having won the junior title nice. at the same Monte Carlo Country Club 40 years earlier. I think it just the stars all aligned, but he was real. I was impressed with his mentality that he didn't shy away after the disappointment of Miami, and he came in and he said, I'm here to fight, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, I've been impressed with Sitsipas' ability to start matches on the quick All really for the last couple of months. I started watching him closely in Acapulco, didn't win that tournament there, but but just out of the gates, fast, real assertive and streamlined tennis that he plays. And it's it's nice to see him doing what he's doing. I think he could be a real big factor. Let me ask you this. This is like maybe a little far-fetched because it's early and because we still have Rafa and Novak Djokovic to think about when, we, when it comes to Roland Garros. But ha, has this week in Monte Carlo, has it made it feel like we're a little bit closer to somebody winning a slam and actually taking out those players? Like, not the, let's, in other words, not the way that Dominic Team did it at the U.S. Open last year. Do you think we're getting just a smidgen closer? Maybe it's not going to happen this year, but do you feel a little closer after what you've seen in Monte Carlo? Or are you just, do you still need to see more in Madrid and Rome? I think I need to see more, especially because Rafa on five sets at the French Open is a totally different um, challenge, totally different mountain than two out of three. So I think I need to see more, especially on clay. But, you know, hard courts, yeah. I mean, Medvedev is knocking at the door. He's right there, like you said, Dominic Team. I, you know, I realize it wasn't the big three, but he still had to come back from two sets down to beat Zverev in the U.S. Open final. So I, I would say it's a bit of both. I mean, yeah, I think they are closer on other surfaces, but I don't, I can't say after Monte Carlo they're closer, you know, for this coming Roland Garros major only because Rafa's so dominant. And if something happened with Rafa, you still got to look at Novak because he's been so public about, you know, chasing down the record and, and he's coming off a dynamite. Australian Open performance too so you could say after that match with Medvedev maybe he spread the gap in his mind yeah so it's basically wait and see to, to how these players can perform against the big 
three, which is really kind of the big two on clay, although Federer will take part. But it's really wait and see, and we'll see what kind of performance these guys can put up against these guys when they're at peak form, which they all know how to do so well. So. Right, because even the Rafa loss, he played really bad. But if you could say if he had five sets, maybe he would have figured out the serve in Monte Carlo. If it was best of five, you just can't put that past him. You know, the more time and the more space and the more distance he has, the better it is for him. And obviously, the more repetitions he's coming in there cold with with no you know tournament play. He and Novak both. So I think you got to kind of put that one in, put that a little bit aside. But I think for if you're Sitsipas, sure, you got to build on that. If you're Rublev. I mean, he just wins every week. The guy's there. So I think for both of them, it's got to solidify their status just internally that, yeah, I definitely belong. But three out of five is a different story. Yeah, they have to learn to tackle that challenge still. But, you know, it's funny. When we look at the uh, ATP race to Turin, which is, by the way, just saying Turin is pretty exciting. It's going to be in Italy yeah, yeah. this year, November <laughs> 14th to 21st will be in Italy instead of the O2 Arena in London, which where it's been for so long. Sitsipas at the top of the race, which is kind of neat. It's, I mean, think about it. It's April. I, don't, I haven't checked my calendar, but I think it's the 21st now. He's got 25, 40 points. Rublev second. Djokovic third on the list. And then you don't see anybody else in the big three until you dip down to Rafa, who's still working his way up now at 18th. He rises 15th based on his Monte Carlo quarterfinal. But it's weird looking at the race. It goes Tsitsipas, Rublev, Djokovic, Medvedev, Hercac is fifth, Karatsev is sixth, Yannick Sinner, the 19-year-old, is seventh on the, on the race right now, and Zverev is eighth. So basically, you can you can say, let, show me this this race again in about a month, and and if it holds, I'll be surprised. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, but I, I have to say this might sound a little radical, but it wouldn't shock me if Yannick Sinner made the turn. I mean, I know that sounds like a stretch after, yeah, you know, Miami final, but it wouldn't blow my mind if he was able to qualify just based on what he's shown us so far. Obviously, we haven't seen him on grass or anything, but you know that he can do it on clay based on what he did last year. But I'm not surprised as far as, you know, obviously Novak world number one and Rublev the match leads winner. And also when you look at Medvedev, the kind of, few years he's put together i'm not surprised at those guys at all and i think rafa you just got to give him time to play you know the more he plays the stronger he gets generally yeah you got to give him time to play and nobody's really running away with this there's um what is there there are the first four players are separated only by 410 points and then as you get down lower and near around seven or eight it's kind of a free-for-all like zverev has a thousand points but batista Gu is not far behind at 855 there's still a lot of tennis to play. Let's not forget we skipped Indian Wells, so we've only had one Masters 1000 in the books. We've got two of those coming up. I suspect some players will rise from the lower ranks of the race to Turin in the next few weeks. And, I, and with that in mind, I ask you, who do you see anybody who's, besides Rafa, of course, because we know he's going to be there, or almost 100% sure, but any other names from that list maybe that are outside the 20 or outside the 15 that you think will be in the top eight by the end of Roland Garros? Wow, that's a tough one. You know, the guy that showed me a little bit of Monte Carlo who had a tough Australia was Gofan. You know, after he lost to Alcaraz and he lost to Alexi Popper, and I think at the AO, you know, he put together a nice run there and he had it. He was in there with a shot against Dan Evans, but he's, what, number 12 in the world now, so he's inside the top 50. Uh, you know, Musetti, I've been impressed what he's what he's done so far, but he's a young player. He's still got a lot of 
areas to improve on. I think a guy that watches is just what are we going to see from, from Zverev? Are we going to see the guy that wins Acapulco? Are we going to see the guy that goes out to Gofan and Monte Carlo? He's, his, his high level is so high, it and is. when his first serve is on, he can beat anybody at any time. And like you said earlier, winning role, I mean, he's won ma- Masters on clay, but he's just so up and down, and also his – Focus seems to me like it wavers up and down where you just don't know. Although he's really cut down on the, on the double faults recently, and he, he's competed more positively. I just think he, he's kind of enigmatic. You just don't know what you're, you're going to get. Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm still kind of shocked that you mentioned Musetti's name in, in that potential moving up the, the race list. And imagine one day what Musetti and Sinner both in the ATP World Tour Finals in Italy that would be well, so that would cool. be crazy. Or even Berrettini in there. I mean, you said he obviously it's a it's a long, way long long shot. But I just like the way he's played so far. He's young. He's he's eager. He's enthusiastic. But obviously, he's got to do a lot of work on the return mm-hmm. and the faster surfaces. You saw in Miami, guys are just. You know, he's so far back on the return, and guys exploit that. Yeah. So he's a guy long-term, but I just love watching him. I love his feel. Isn't he fun? You know, the variety, and he's just into it. He's into playing. I like people that are exuberant about it. Yeah, he's got a lot of panache, that guy. And I think yeah, he really, that's a good word for you. <laughs> I think, you know, to be fair on you, I think you were just saying that he's a guy that can move up the list. You didn't actually peg him to make the World Tour Finals. And that, right, think, right, 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 right. No, not at all. I'm not saying that. I think he's playing his seventh um, ATP event now. He just played his 20th. Yeah, yeah, time, yeah. Actually. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm grateful you clarified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You no, he's just a guy I love, I love watch playing, and, I, you know, he, he, he's. Yeah. He's someone exciting to watch. I think Sinner is. It would not shock me if Sinner made the last eight. The way he's playing, I think it's within reach. And also, uh, you know, he's just got the weapon. He's got a great return, and off both wings, there's not a weakness there. It's just you know, matter of getting the match experience going. And he, you know, he's hit with Rafa this year. He's played with the top guys. They're aware of him. Everyone knows he's a threat. It's just let's see how it develops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll add to this. Um... Question. But Karatsev, wouldn't it be great if Karatsev made the line? I mean, that would be an incredible, it would be so cool to see him, you it know, start nice. and end the year with those kind of breaks. That would be incredible. It would be, <laughs> it would be unbelievable. I mean, it would be incredible. I mean, I would really like to see it just because of what he did in Australia. I mean, he's the guy and he's the real deal, too. You see what he can do in Dubai as well. It already is incredible that we're even talking about him right now. Number 28 in the world, Aslan Karatsev. Um, and a guy that we don't talk enough about maybe is Herkaz, who you mentioned earlier. You know, not only Miami Open, but Paris, the indoor. They won, he won doubles with Felix there. The guy has nice feel at the net. He's he's just a really quiet, mild-mannered guy that's always overlooked. But he's a really tough guy. And I remember a couple of years ago in Miami, Novak named him as one of the guys that he thinks is a real big threat in the future. And it kind of – he just always flies under the radar. But he's obviously a tough – and he's a champion too, so mm-hmm. – a um, couple other names I'll mention that might get a lot closer to the top eight than they are now. Um, Diego Schwartzman, great on clay. He comes in at 17th, hasn't really got his season really kicked off. Pablo Carreño Busta, 22nd. Fanini's at 13. You could see those guys make a move. But then you dip down the list, and I'm going to ask ask you to kind of engage in a little conversation about this man because he made some news this week. 47th on the list right now from Austria, Dominic Team. 
Yeah, yeah, that's shocking to hear dominant team at number 47. And, you know, we all know the game is there. You've seen the game. It's just based on his comments in that Der Standard interview he did this week. It sounds like it's really just motivation. He used the word whole, that he just fell into this sort of malaise. And uh, for a guy that works as hard as he has his whole career, you could understand how that could just burn you out completely and you just – you just need a break. I remember Jim Courier when he was number one in the world years later saying, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made is that I I just felt the, the solution to every problem was to just work harder, whereas at some yeah. point you have to be able to pull back because you just burn yourself out. You have to be able to step back and just take time off and come back refreshed. But a guy like that, he's such a maniacal worker. It sounds like that's a good thing that he came to the realization, I just emptied the tank and there was nothing left yeah. in that Dimitrov match where you just never see him bageled. Not only bageled, but just looked totally empty. So, yeah, yeah I mean, those comments were, were really revealing, but maybe it's a good thing that he came to that realization. It's just you wonder, can he regain the fire with Roland Garros, you know, right around the corner, basically. I know it's a little uh, we'll, scary. You know, we'll find out. But the game-wise, yeah, absolutely. The game, game-wise, you could see him there yeah. at the end of the year. Yep, and of course, you're referring to the round of 16 matchup, which after a, a, just a brilliant third round win over Nick Kyrgios right with all the Kyrgios. energy in Melbourne, he he kind of just fell flat against Dimitrov, suffered with some. Some issues physically, I think, and then came to Doha, struggled there, beat Karatsev, but lost to Batista Gu in three sets, then lost to Lloyd Harris in Dubai. And that's the last we've seen of him, except until, really until yesterday. And we, and we see the quotations. I spent 15 years chasing the big goal without looking left or right. I fell in a hole. It's time for me to look around and experience life a bit. It's kind of strange. He's 27 years old. He still hasn't achieved his main goal. We all know what he really wants to do is win Roland Garros, and he'd love to do it by beating Rafael Nadal. And it seemed like he was on track to do that, getting closer and closer every year, playing so brilliantly and just a physical beast on that surface. But this year, it doesn't, based on what, I'm going to ask you, Richard, based on what you're reading, what you've seen from him this year, I feel like I don't think he can even make a push unless something, unless he just completely surprises the heck out of us and these physical issues and mental issues he's experiencing aren't nearly as bad as we're making them out to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of at the same place you are. I mean, it's just it's just hard to see if that's where you're at mentally that you're able to turn it around in less than two months and take on the greatest challenge in the history of the sport, which is Nadal in Paris on that court. I mean, it it seems really really you know, challenging to do that. On the other hand, having said that, you know, I was thinking about what he said, and I remember in uh, 2009, Del Potro got destroyed by Federer, I think it was, in the Australian Open. Everyone was like, oh, my God, Del Potro, he's just empty. You know, he didn't fight, and people write him off. By the end of that year, I think he won the U.S. Open, you know, beat, beat uh, Nadal Federer back-to-back. -back. So, I, I mean, I'd say by the end of the year, yeah, I mean, I think he can re-summon the fire, but it's just if you're feeling that, kind of um you know emptiness now it's it's hard to see for me to see him turn it around so yeah, quick it's crazy i'll read some more snippets from this dirt standard interview. because he's not saying like oh i need a week off or you know i need to go on vacation i mean he's saying you know i'm, I'm just shot basically is what he's saying if mm -hmm. you read between the 
minds. Yeah, and I think a team like a lot of players, and Tsitsipas harped on it again in his pre-tournament press conference at Barcelona, it's a dark period for players. They just show up at these events, and, and there's no ambiance, there's no atmosphere. They go from the practice court to the hotel. They feel empty. They feel lonely. They feel bad about complaining because the, the public just frankly doesn't want to hear it. We've all got our own problems, and frankly, a lot of them are worse than what professional tennis players at the, at the elite level are experiencing. But these guys are going through it. He, the team was asked, uh, is it self-pity you're feeling? No, I feel a certain emptiness, but it's not that big of a deal. You know, he tries to kind of lessen the situation. Uh, I didn't even want to watch the Football Champions League last week. I also hardly followed the tennis in Monte Carlo. It's like it's hard to imagine him bouncing back so quickly. But but then again, he might just be feeling sorry for himself and having a moment as he kind of like maybe he's frustrated that he hasn't been able to work. I don't know. It's it seems like if you're reading the signs, you're thinking, well, this is going to be a really rough go for it. And, and when he finally does show up in Madrid, I, I don't expect a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that. On the other hand, if you want to look at the spinning in a positive way, maybe it's just the cathartic nature of that loss to Dimitrov where he can let it go and also just putting it out there publicly where, hey, I was fried. I just didn't have it. Maybe sometimes by putting it out there, you can just release it, yeah. let it go, turn the page, and, and move on. And we know, I mean, look, it's less than a year ago the guy won a, won a major, so we all know he can win majors. And like you said, I mean, his stated goal is to win Paris. I just think, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough if that's the the mindset, the disposition. But you know he does have some time, so let's see what he brings in clay. It's just his kind of style, where he the dominator, where he's going to physically punish people. You've got to you got to go in there, warrior mentality. You know every point is a war. I'm willing yeah. to lay it out. You, you can't go in there sort of questioning your motivation if that's the way you're going to play. Yeah, maybe he was so discouraged by the way he competed against Dimitrov that he's looking deeper into himself and thinking, I'm burnt out. I need to find something else. Like he mentioned, bees interest him. <laughs> he's, he's asked about that. He's campaigning yeah. for bees. He said, bees also interest me when the wheel turns normally. Anyway, yeah. maybe yeah, he's thinking... I Maybe he's thinking, I need to turn away from these things in order to get back into them the way I need to in order to do what I'm trying to do. Because at the end of this interview, he says the French Open is my big goal. Obviously, I have a training backlog. I haven't played any matches against top players for a long time, so I don't know where I stand. But he, he hopes to play some in Madrid and Rome. He wants to be fully competitive in Paris. And then he goes on to talk about the Olympics. So clearly, he wants to do the, the, the stuff he always wanted to do in tennis. I think he's just kind of tricking himself into into getting his mind right maybe maybe like to yeah it could be just a way to unburden himself and also you know we forget both his parents are tennis coaches so it's not it's like his whole life is tennis i mean at some point you know you you want to just clear your head of it it's it it, it it can it can box you in so i think maybe that's it just sort of get a different perspective a fresh perspective because his whole world to this point has been tennis yeah, I know it kind of throws a wrench in the whole French Open scenario because I've I'd always thrown him in there as this guy who was really creeping up on Rafa and Novak, and just getting ever so close to being being the one that does it. Now I'm not so sure. So I mean, there's a lot. It's going to be really interesting. Let's put it that way to watch what happens in Madrid and Rome this year. And then I feel like if it doesn't work out for him, if it goes south and he doesn't he gets into a prolonged slump, then I'm kind of worried about him at his age, 28, physical issues. I hope I really want good things for Dominic Team. I want him to win Roland Garros. I'm sure you agree. The guy's he's he's put so much of his heart and soul into it. It would be it would be a travesty if he never won it. 
feel like he deserves it because, like you said, he's put so much into it. You feel like he's kind of the heir apparent, the next in line, if there's a succession, that he would deserve it. And, and like you said, you know, look, look, what if he went back-to-back and he put in, like, a semi and a semi in Madrid and Rome or a semi and a final in one of those two places? Then all of a sudden, hey, everything's back to where you thought it was. So, you know, he has the ability to turn to turn it around. I think it's interesting what you said earlier about the crowd because you go back to that Kyrgios match where he came back. There were fans at that match, if I remember right, and they were into that match, even though there were, you know, there were restrictions. So, he is a guy that I think the crowd can can energize him and ignite him. Although you could say the same exact thing for Rafa and Novak. And then let's say he played Rafa and Perry, it would be interesting to me to see where the crowd would go if that match came off in a final. Yeah. In Paris, you know, because obviously there's going to be a, you know, Rob is a huge, he's a defending, but at the same time, like you said, I think there's a lot of people want to see him break through and get there after he's been so close. Yeah, when a guy gives that much of his heart and soul, like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, uh, that's that's what us, we tennis fans and pundits, that's what we just love, we crave it, we want to see guys giving their all. He's an incredible player. Um, he know. is, and also, you know, with Australia, Masu wasn't able to travel there, maybe that would have helped if Masu had been there. He's a really good coach, and he's been through the he's been through it all. So you never know, maybe G, he just needs some time to clear his head. I, I hope that's it, but he's yeah. still... Should be in the prime of his career right now, so yeah. he should be. If I were him, I'd be super pumped, knowing that you know the end is near for the other th- for the big three. Yeah, I know. Not not imminently near, but it's it's closer than it is for him. Yeah, so he, he could play a role. He can play a role in putting them in putting him out to pasture. It, you know, at some right. point he could be. He he's supposed to be the guy that does that and and finally slays. You know, both of them maybe at the same Roland Garros. So maybe it's not supposed to be this year, or next year, but eventually that's what's supposed to happen. That's why our script is getting flipped a little bit by what we're perceiving here. But let's move the conversation to our last topic. That'll be, speaking of um, guys in the prime of their careers, these guys aren't quite in the prime of their careers, but it's been a real fun couple months getting to know Carlos Alcaraz, Lorenzo Musetti, Yannick Sinner a little better, Sebastian Corda. What are your thoughts on these young guys? And it was I was also laughing at the comments that Casper Ruud made last week. He's 22 years old, and he, he got blown off the court by Alcaraz in um, Marbella. And he's like, he said it was like a wake up call. Like, wow, the kids are coming after us. And everybody's like, wait a second, you're the you're the kid. So now yeah, now the kids exactly. are coming after the kids. But it look it feels like at some point this generation that we're talking about, Alcaraz, Musetti, Sinner, and the like, are going to be caught all the way up with the Shapovalovs and the Sitsipasas and the Zveras if these guys don't uh, keep hitting new levels. So it's kind of an interesting time. Any thoughts on that? Oh well, I. I agree with you, and I, I, every guy you mentioned, I, I'm pretty high on all of them. I mean, Alcaraz, he plays with, he's 17 years old, he plays with the poise of a guy that's 27 years old. When you see him play, even today, when I saw him lose to Tiafo, he's losing like 4-1-5-1 at one point. He's still like fired up, pumping his fist. He's still super positive. He's still battling, and he turned that match around. He pushed it into a second set tie break. So he has a lot of poise for a teenage guy, and he's another guy that last year, you know, on the lower circuits, he had a long winning streak, so he's accustomed to winning. He's coming off his first semifinal. I believe he's the youngest semifinalist uh, on clay since Zverev. So, yeah. yeah, he's got a major, major upside. I mean, the Spanish guys all say he's definitely going to be a top-ten player. We spoke about Sinner at length. I think he's going to be at the very, very top of the game. You said he, I think it just comes down to the return and maybe beefing up the second serve a little bit, but his game is just wonderful to watch because of the variety. He'll hit slice forehands, he'll hit drop shots, angles. He could do anything with the backhand. He's 
super quick, reads the court really well. And, you know, Corda has the pedigree, and he showed you in Miami, shown you in Delray that, you know, he's in for the long game. He's a guy that's really looking to be, you know, a long 10-year career, you know, top 10, top 15 guy. So I think it's it's a great – it's a great group to be excited about, and also they don't have the pain right now of being pounded by the other guy, by the big three and the Masters, so maybe that helps mm-hmm. in that sense. You know, they don't have that scar. Because, look, it, it jumped a generation because everyone thought at one time we were going to see Roundage and Dimitrov and Nishikuri and all these guys, and it jumped a generation to the next guy, so maybe the same thing will happen here with this class. But I still like Rude's guy. Like you said, 22 years old. It's a great effort. That semi and also the Rome semi. I mean, Rude on clay, he's a guy, he's a guy we got to be watching. I mean, his forehead is huge, and he oh, yeah. moves well. Yeah, it's just a challenge for him to to keep to get the backhand in play yeah, like the way he needs it and to, 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 find, yeah. to find ways to use the forehand like Rublev really took it away from him well. But, yeah, he's, he's really clearly on the rise on, on clay. Yeah, he's on and the rise. It's just when he comes after the guys with the two power off two wings like Rublev, like Sinner, you know, like sits a pass off both, then, then it's a challenge because he's so forehand yep. orientated. Yeah. Well, getting back to Corda. Musetti, Sinner, and the like. It's interesting to see that they're really fast learners. Lorenzo Musetti won today against Lopez in Barcelona. He's 13 and 7 lifetime already. That's his first 20 matches. Not bad. I think it took Sitsipas nine matches to win to win a single match at the ATP level. Corda, 13 and 8, um, hit a career high 62 already. He's back to 66, but he's in Serbia this week. And of course, Sinner is making his top 20 debut. These guys are moving up fast. So I think you're right. They don't. They have the big three to deal with, though not as much because the big three are kind of at the age now where they're willing to kind of back off at events like Monte Carlo and whatnot and leave a little bit more space. And it feels like Corda, Mazzetti, Sinner, they can upset any of the other players. So it's going to be up to guys like Tsitsipas, Rublev to really kind of keep them under their thumb as much as they possibly can for these next two years. Otherwise, it's going to be a free-for-all, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Sitsipas touched on that a little bit in Monte Carlo, saying he doesn't see one or two rivalries. He sees like six or seven or eight rivalries among all those guys that you mentioned. And I would even take it a step further and say in Musetti's case or even Sinner's case, you could say the big three thing is a positive, like the training camp Sinner spent with Rafa at yeah. the start of this year. Really, he spoke about how that really helped him. Or, or today, Musetti talked about hitting with Federer in Australia a couple of years ago, how that helped him and how he tried to combine Rafa's attitude and Roger's smoothness and elegance and variety. So I think you can almost look at it as it, it, it's a positive for them because they haven't had the battle scars, but they've got the good, the benefits from it, from being around them, from hitting with them and stuff like that. So yeah. they're, they're going to be a great, great generation to watch. And like you said, at the very top with all those Italians and the final ATP finals of Turin for the next coming years, it's, I mean, they're going to have a, a lot of motivation as well. Yeah, lots of lots of fun to watch with Italian tennis right now. I hope Fabio Fanini gets it back together for one last push too. He's always entertaining, but um, yeah, I think we covered it, Richard. I think I think we're ready to put this podcast in the books. I'm ready to go live with it. And- yeah, and then uh, the other thing is when you asked me earlier about young guys, I forgot to mention Felix and uh, Dennis also. And Felix and um, you said you're playing next round in Barcelona, so that yeah. that should be really it's, fun it's, to see. It's going to be an interesting time for Felix Ojeel. You've seen with Tony Nadal working with him, maybe 
uh, obviously the wisdom is uh, incredible. I mean, you can't you can't find a better guy to, to have around, and he's going to benefit from that. But maybe a little pressure in the short term about like his matches are going to be under the spotlight, especially on clay, especially when Rafa's around. It might be a little bit tricky for him to deal with. Felix has always been a little bit. I don't know what this. I don't know what shy is not the right word, but I think he's still coming out of his shell in, in terms of confidence in his, and belief in his game that he can hang at the ATP level. Would you say that's correct? Would you say I'm out of line or, or what? Uh, I think he knows he has the ability. To me, it's just he's almost too respectful a competitor at times. Like, he realizes how good those guys are, which is great. I mean, he has a humility about it, but you you got to have a little bit of an edge as well, you know. So I think maybe that's one area where where Tony can help him. But then again, you look at his record against the top ten, it's not a great record. And you look at his record in finals, he's winless in finals. So he's got to get over those hurdles yeah. to build the confidence to then grow. But I think it, he's 20 years old. I mean, it's a process. He's got the best ahead of him. And I think he's got the right guy with Tony. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd say the best is definitely ahead of him. Well, I'm, I'm, high, I'm high on his game for sure. Of course, yeah. Richard, you're a guy who drank tequila with Tony Nadal. Right? <laughs> so let me ask you this. What do you think Tony's telling Felix about playing um, Musetti tomorrow or whenever, the next day, whatever it is? Um, because I'm curious also because I want to hear him you. Watch out for the, he's telling him watch out for the drop shot because he <laughs> used that on um, Lopez today a few so yeah. he's saying you got to be ready for that. Right. But, uh, yeah, I think he's going to tell him, look, if he's staying that far back on the on the return, you got to hit some sharp angle slices wide, and then you got to play the angles a little bit, try to drag him off the court. I'm excited to see that because they're both athletically. So, I mean, you said he's really, really fast. When you see him, he's so far back, you're like, there's no way he's going to get to someone. And he gets to the balls in the front court, and he's not afraid to come in either. So that's, that's kind of a cool dynamic because Felix can close at the net as well. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be a really fun match to watch. Tell our listeners how you drank tequila with Tony Nadal. We'll, we'll have a second. <laughs> another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, right? It, it I can say it didn't help my serve much. It but didn't it help my serve. What, tequila, what brand tequila was it? Just let's give us something. No, uh, he. I think he's going to be great for Felix, and I think he's going to have. I think the training on clay is also going to be very beneficial, just because if you watch Felix, some of the longer rallies, he just flames out. With the, he just hits too flat. Sometimes he'll end a long rally just into the net where he just loses his height or loses his spin. I think the repetition, just training on clay with Tony, the repetition is really going to be beneficial for him. Mm-hmm. You think he'll be tough love more than, than Felix has gotten in the last few years? Because we know T- Tony's famous for tough love on Rafa. I mean, that's what he brought him up on, right? Yeah, I think there will be for sure. I just think Felix strikes me as a little more sensitive than Rafa, so I don't know how tough. I think he's got to kind of build. I don't think you want to go tough right out of the gate, but yeah, he's he tells it like it is, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think it'll, it'll be more. Yeah, yeah, should should be really I'm really curious to see how these guys turn out. I just hope that they travel together a little bit and kind of stay connected. Whether whether that means Tony is just part time ish, doesn't have to travel to every event, but I, I hope that he's by his side for the remainder of the year. And I know they want to make it work because you know because of the whole con- academy connection, and I think they genuinely hit it off and care about each other. So. I hope it's not a short-lived thing. That's my only fear. What do you What do you think? I do too. I think that can, I think you hit it right on there. Is because he's not traveling full time. That it, you know, it's it's a longer picture thing. Like I want you to come here for training blocks before each sort of Grand Slam yeah. season stuff. 
like that. Um, and also, like you said earlier with Rude there, I mean, look at the three guys you have for tra- you have Rafa, Felix, and Rude training there. I mean, those are three. Okay. And then they're always bringing new people in there. Mugu's training there. Uh, Carol Garcia's training there. Mm-hmm. Murray's training there. Dimitra. So they're always bringing in other people. So it's just a great environment, I would think, to be around. And he's building more clay courts on that facility. I think he's building some indoor clay as well. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have a ton of clay courts there. Yeah. Be, that'd be a cool place to visit. That might be next on your list. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> someday, right? When we can travel, when we can all travel. Yeah, that, hopefully that'll be coming soon. All right, Richard, very cool, man. Let's let's check back soon. Keep an eye on keep an eye on these uh, developing clay court storylines, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, more about the women when we meet next. But thanks for your time. I'll talk with you soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, for joining me and for engaging in some heartfelt tennis debate. Appreciate you guys listening. Want to let you know where you can find us on social media. You can find Tennis Now on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tennis Now. You can hit us on Twitter, at Tennis underscore Now. We're also on Instagram. Big following on YouTube. We'd love it if you pop over to our YouTube channel there. We could always use a few new subscribers. And, of course, the podcast. On Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, find the podcast. Be even better if you rate, review, and subscribe. We can definitely use that, and we definitely would appreciate it. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you guys next time. In the meantime, enjoy the clay cord. <laughs>